You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Man, we have so much to be celebrating uh, as a church. God is doing so many amazing things. 40 plus kids at Parents Night Out is just awesome. Our youth ministry started up a couple weeks ago, and so we've got middle schoolers and high schoolers that are hanging out on Wednesday nights at 6.30 to 8 o'clock. You come here, uh, if you're in middle school and high school, we welcome you. We want you to join us, have fun, hang out, hear about who Jesus is, and how much Jesus loves you. And so that's on Wednesday nights, 6.30 to 8 o'clock, youth. And also, um, we are going to, and this has been something that we've been praying a lot about, we are going to include fifth graders in that. So let me hear, yeah, are you excited about that? Yeah, so we're gonna include fifth graders in that as well. Um, So come and join us. Uh, We also could use some leaders for that as well. Um, We have some amazing leaders that have already stepped up. And then our our college and young professional ministry. I'm really, really super excited about that. Starting up this week, um, so they're gonna be meeting on, where's Miguel? Where's he at? Tuesday nights at 6.30. Yes, Miguel? 6.30? 6.30, there it is. Um, so if you're a, a college student or a young professional, so that's in your 20s, 30s, um, we're having a group here on a Tuesday night, and that's an opportunity for you to get together. We do everything um, for the uh, goal or the purpose of discipleship, and so it's our heart uh, to disciple you um, to know Jesus and love Jesus more. And so all of these ministries are not just a time to come and hang out. We have community groups that meet all throughout the week. Those are launching and, and starting up again. Um, we don't just do those to hang out. We do those so that you can come and dive deep into the word of God um, and you can grow in community. We're all looking for a place to belong, people to belong with. And so I'm really excited about God and uh, what God is doing in the midst of the life of our church. So uh, we're gonna be in Ephesians chapter three. So if you have a Bible, grab it. I want you to hold the word of God in your hand. This is super important for us. Um, We are walking through the book of Ephesians. And so we started this in January. And so if you haven't been here, if you're new, welcome, glad you're here. Um, We want you to, uh, these are online. They're, we have a podcast. If you have any stream, any podcast, just Fort Myers Community Church. You can go on YouTube and look for us. And um, so we started this in January. Then we went through to the summer, and we went from Ephesians two all the way to Ephesians five um, because it was easier to break down over the summer when everybody's kind of transient and coming in and out to go to Ephesians five and break down the text there. Now we're going back to Ephesians three. So if you're joining us for the first time today, you're like. Okay, Um, if you've been walking with us since January, you're like, okay, we're bouncing around a little bit. We're back in Ephesians 3, that's where we're landing. And I'm really excited because um, where God brought me this week as I was studying this, um, I was starting to get really fascinated and intrigued by our planet. Uh, Does anybody else like watching shows like Planet Earth and things like that? Yeah, I I mean, I love watching um, things about our planet and learning about our planet. And so I started like taking a deep dive. Sometimes when I'm studying the word of God and sometimes when I'm studying to teach on Sundays, um, I get into these like holes, like these deep holes of like studying different things. And so I started studying about our earth and our planet. I'm just fascinated by how we're tilted at like the right degrees to where there are seasons and we're not gonna, we're not too close to the sun, we're gonna burn up. We're not too far away, we're gonna freeze. I mean, God set us in motion and and he's kept us there. And that's just amazing in and of itself. And so I'm, I'm fascinated by this. And I started looking into the earth's core. 
And as I was studying the Earth's core, I actually came up with a ton of facts that I wanted to show you how smart I am uh, to tell you about the Earth's core. And then I realized as I was like taking this deep dive into learning about the Earth's core that we learned in Earth science, right, all this stuff that we learned, that we've not even been there. We really don't know. Like, the furthest we've ever dug down is 7.5 miles-ish into the Earth's crust. We haven't even broken, like, the first layer of skin on the Earth. Yet there's all these facts and figures about what it's made of and how hot it is and all these things. And I'm, like, reading this and I'm going, these are just guesses. Like, they're just guessing about what's under, what we're standing on. And like when it boils down to it, here's the fact that matters. The earth's core has to, helps us and like has to do with our gravity. (laughs) Like it keeps us on the earth. That's about it. That's what we get. Because other than that, we don't really know. Hence all of science. No. Um, But that's like we're, we're sitting there and we're like, man, we haven't even been there. And when we get into the word of God and we begin to read the word of God, we begin to form these statements and we begin to form these ideas and it can become very Christianese. Do you know what I mean by that? It could become this thing where like, we throw a word out there and everybody in the room nods. And I get this from you a lot and I love how interactive you are with me. right? I get like I say a word like Jesus-centered and everybody's like, oh yeah. But Do we even know what that means? Are we just living our lives guessing that we know what it means to be Jesus-centered? Or have we actually opened up God's word to us and learned what it meant to be Jesus-centered, to have Jesus at the core of everything that we do, everything that we think? Are we Jesus-centered? centered. Writing this letter is a man named Paul. Paul is sitting in a prison. He was unjustly in prison. He's not like, he wasn't a thief, right? He, he was unjustly, unjustly imprisoned. Why? Because he was going around telling people about a man named Jesus. And this man named Jesus lived around the days of Paul. And during those days, they had the Old Testament, which is the beginning part of the book that you should be holding in your hand. It's, it's Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And, and, and they would have read these things, and in it, you would see it talk about a Messiah, a coming Savior that was going to take away the sins of the world. And in that day, every now and again, some prophet would step up, and people would begin to attribute the fact that that person was this Messiah. And some of them actually would try to lead people to believe that they were this Messiah. And then a man named Jesus is born. And he grows up and he starts doing miracles. Things that are just unheard of. Things that are like, what? Like, there was a man with leprosy. It's a skin condition. And and in that day, they didn't have the medical advances that we have now. But it was thought that if you touch them, you would contract leprosy. And so people wouldn't even go near. They would cast them out of the city. They wouldn't go near them. And if you touch somebody with leprosy, you would be unclean. And then you would have to be cast out of the city. And this man is walking up to Jesus. And instead of running away from him with all what most people would do, Jesus walks to him. And not only does he walk to him, even though he has the power to just speak healing over 
this guy, he touches him. And that man doesn't make Jesus unclean, but Jesus makes this man clean. He, he grabs a hold of a man that probably has not been embraced for years and heals him. So, this man Jesus does these things and then they murder him. They put him on a cross and they kill him and bury him in a tomb. And three days later, the tomb is empty. And Jesus is walking around again. And as he's walking around, he engages with the man. And that man is who we know as Paul. And Paul begins to share with others that he was actually who he said he was. He is this Messiah that the Old Testament, the whole, all of this talks about. That that was Jesus. And so they throw him in prison. But this good news of a Savior that has come to take away the sins of the world is starting to spread like wildfire. And the name Jesus Christ is spreading like wildfire. And people are putting their faith in Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. And in Ephesians 3, he's writing to a church and he's trying to help them understand what it means to be Jesus-centered. Paul was a Jesus-centered man. And there are times in these passages and in these letters that Paul's writing, he actually encourages the people. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But it wasn't this prideful, arrogant statement. It was actually a very humble statement that Paul was saying. He's saying, God has transformed my life in such a way that I want you to know what it looks like to center your life around Jesus. It doesn't matter whether you are in prison or not in prison. Jesus saved you. It doesn't matter if your marriage isn't the best that it's ever been. Like, Jesus saves you. It doesn't matter if you're struggling at work, or it doesn't matter if you're uncertain what the future may bring with your job. Jesus came to save you in all those things, and to walk with you through all those things, and to help give you life and purpose and peace in all those things. And so he's sitting here, imprisoned, going, hey, it's okay. Because Jesus has saved me. And this world is not my home. And, and I'm looking towards an eternity where there will be no more hurting and no more tears and no more pain and no more brokenness and no more prison and no more prison food. Like he was going into this going, man, this is what it looks like. And he is writing to the people in Ephesians 3, 1 through 13 about what it means to be Jesus-centered. And so today, we're just going to look at verses 1 and 13. And over the next six weeks, we're going to break it down. It's kind of like these bookends, right? And so today, we're just looking at what the bookends are, what it means to be Jesus-centered, and why is he carrying around this joyful burden. And then over the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at the books in between. Sound good? Okay. So we're going to dive in. Today, we're going to look at what it means to be, to have a joyful burden to share the good news of Jesus with everyone we come in contact with. Sound good? So if you're taking notes, write joyful burden. That'd be a good idea. Can I pray for us? I'm excited. Jesus, your word is so good. I pray that as we enter into reading your word, 
and thinking about your word, that these would not be my words, but that your spirit, like we just sang, would move mightily and transform our hearts. But I cannot transform anybody today. It's only through the power of your Holy Spirit and through the word that you have given us that people are transformed. And so God, I pray that you would do something amazing. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, verse one. He starts off with, for this reason. Now, we have to understand that we believe that this is the inerrant word of God. This is the word of God with no error. We do understand, though, that it was translated from Greek and that when we were putting together the Bible, we added things called verses and chapters. It's a way for us to catalog and, and actually look through it and have it kind of organized. It's kind of like the Dewey Decimal System, right? So the way we organize the Bible. But, but man put those verses and those numbers in. Those put, they put the page numbers, they put the verse numbers, and they put the chapter numbers. So those are not the inspired word of God. The words are, but the verses are not. And so when we are reading the Bible, sometimes we open up to like chapter three, and we think it's a new thought because it's a new chapter, like it's in a book that we would read today like Harry Potter. But it's, it's not a new chapter. He's actually pointing back to everything he just said. This is a letter. And so if we don't understand the context that we're coming into for this reason, what? Like what reason? Like he's giving us the why we're about to enter into what we're about to enter into. And so he is pointing back to chapter two. And this is what we see in chapter two. The first thing we see is that we were all dead. Ephesians 2 Verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Anybody here not a sinner? Raise your hand. Okay, good. We're all on the same playing field. Um, and you were dead in the trespasses and sin. By the way, my hand was not just raised. I was, that was an example. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were all dead. We were separated from God, and God is the source of life. Have you ever, who charges their, their phone at night? Raise your hand, raise your hand, okay. Or watch, or Apple Watch, whatever you have. Um, so you charge it at night. Has anybody ever plugged their phone in at night and woke up in the morning and it's still, or like it's dead? Because somehow, yes, right? Because the plug falls out of the wall or something and like you're just expecting to wake up and your phone's gonna be fully charged and then it's not, right? We were separated from our life source. God is life. And sin separates us from that life. So we're dead. And we cannot, here's, here's a good word for you kids, write this down, undead ourselves. We can't do that. We are dead. But the good news of chapter two is that Jesus made us alive. He restores the relationship, the connection between us and God who is the essence of life but God. Verse 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive with Christ. For by grace you have been saved, not because you're a good person, 
Not because you came to church today. Not because you put something in the basket. Not because you serve on one of the teams here. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And it's not your own doing. It's a gift from God. And so we were dead. And Jesus made us alive. So when he's saying, for this reason, he's saying, because we were dead, and because Jesus made us alive. And then the last thing in chapter 2 that we see is he unites all people. At the end of chapter 2, this is beautiful. He says, it doesn't matter what your nationality, your ethnicity, your social status, your political party. It doesn't matter. He breaks down the walls of hostility between all humans. Every man, every woman, every child... He breaks down the walls of hostility, so he levels the playing field. So whether you think you are at the top of your game, the top of your field, the top of the income status, or you feel like you're at the bottom, he levels the playing field, and he says, all have sinned, and I have brought life to all. I have come to restore life to all for this reason. <laughs> are, are, we, are we, like, connected now? Like, do we understand why Paul's going into, like, for this reason? Why? And now he's about to give us this like big why. Like, because God brought you from death to life, because God made you a new person, because he unites all people, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus. Now, interesting language here because all of a sudden it feels like there's something that Paul may be saying, but he's not. This word here, desmios, which is the Greek, means one that is bound. And it could seem negative, but it's actually a very positive thing for Paul. This is a conviction, a burden that Paul has, is feeling about something. He truly believes in what he's about to say in such a way that he feels bound to it, a prisoner to it, but it's in a good way. I sold Cutco when I was in college. Anybody else sell Cutco? Anybody have a set of Cutco knives? Good, there's a lot of people that don't. All right, so um, I truly believed in these things. Like when I was in college, like I thought if you didn't have a set of Cutco knives, you were crazy because they could do things that no other knife could do, right? And so they have these scissors that can cut a penny, and even though it's illegal, they teach you how to do this, right? And so you put it in, and then you go through, and you cut this penny, right? Like, like I don't know where that's applicable to life, um, but, but, like, you can have scissors that cut a penny. Like, and I believed in these things. And so, like, I didn't have to sell these things. These things sold themselves. Like, so I almost felt this conviction. I know that's a silly analogy, but I felt this conviction when I was in college. That, like I had to go to everybody I know, not because I want to make money, but because they need to have this. Paul, that, I mean, that is nothing in comparison to what Paul is feeling right now. He's like, I have the ability to bring to somebody the opportunity to go from death to life. A lot better than a pair of scissors that can cut some pennies. Like, so he felt this conviction. He felt this burden where he was like, I'm in prison to this. And it wasn't this negative, like, ah, oh, 
Like, I have to do this. It was like, I get to do this. Like, he is pumped about the burden that he carries to bring this good news to people. So he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus. But who is he bound to? Who is, who, who is this, 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 this imprisonment towards? Well, he goes on and says in verse 1, a prisoner of Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Then in verse 13, the book end of this, he says, I am suffering for you, and he's speaking of the Gentiles. So he's bound to Jesus, and also every single man, woman, and child that his path crosses. Because all throughout Ephesians, he's speaking both to Jews and Gentiles. If you're not of Jewish descent, if that's not your heritage, then you are a Gentile. So even in this moment when Paul's writing this, he's feeling a conviction that he is bound to you because you're a Gentile. And he's saying, I have this burden to share something good with every single person that I pass, every single person that, my, that, that I might lay my eyes upon, that I have to tell them something. So he's got this conviction that he's bound to something. And, and there's an authority that he's bound to in Jesus. Now, it's interesting that he doesn't say I'm prisoner bound to Caesar or a prisoner bound to Rome because that was his current status. Like he was actually a prisoner <laughs> bound to like Rome putting him in prison. Like that, that's who he was physically bound to. But th- he went so much deeper and so much higher than his current status. He, he, he was like, no, there's something bigger here. There's a bigger authority. Every single one of us sits under authority. We have to, because that's how we were created. And really, really bad things happen in cultures and communities where people begin to remove themselves from authority and they begin to lift themselves above it. We've seen that over the last few years. We see that in our history and in our world when these world leaders think that they have no authority. But you know what's the one authority that unites all humans? Well, two things. God, who created every single one of them, and death. There is no human that was above the authority of death. Every single superpower and every single leader who thought he was the top of the food chain died. We are a people who God created to be under an authority. And I don't have to like, convince you parents of that. Like Your kids do not want to be under authority from a very, very young age. Parents, am I right? Like All of a sudden at bedtime, it's like my kids are dying of dehydration. Right? You put them in bed, it's like, water! water. It's like they haven't had water for days. Like, what, they're they're pushing against the authority that God has given me in their life because they want what they want and they're going to scream and kick to do so. Dinner time. I don't know why it happens in these times. Right? No matter what you put in front of Maya right now, like we try to eat somewhat healthy and so we put it in front of it. It's not like we're serving her rank food. 
This is not like expired meat that we're putting in front of her, and it smells nasty, and she's like, oh, like, like this is actually good food that we have the blessing of being able to put in front of her, and it's like we just put a pile of poop in front of her. Like, that's how she responds, like, ah! and she throws it across the counter. All she wants is something that is fried and uh, fried chicken, right? Chicken nuggets and mac and cheese, right? If it doesn't look like that, she doesn't want it. But in those moments, she's pushing against authority, In those moments, she's saying, I want what I want, and I don't have to listen to you. I do the same thing in my life. I do it all the time. Are you willing to have a time of confession right now? Has anybody spit their gum out of the car window or on the sidewalk? Raise your hand. That's littering. It's against the law. Any of you today go even half a mile over the speed limit while you're on your way to church today? Raise your hand. No nudging. No, don't nudge each other. This is a safe place. <laughs> Two years into this thing, into this pandemic, does anybody walk up to a store, a store and, and see the sign that says mass required still? And all of a sudden it's like, all right. You playing this game? Bust open that door like somebody dare. Come on. Somebody dare tell me to put a mask on. Right? Because we don't want to be under authority. Right? All of a sudden it's like, no, you didn't. Right? Like, by nature, we don't want to be under authority. But there's a recognition right now for Paul going, there's a greater authority here. And this greater authority is the person of Jesus. But I'm not under his authority by this like gross, icky, like I hate this kind of authority, but like this joyful, exciting ability to say, no, I want to be under his authority because I know he's for me. And I know he loves me. And I know he knows what's best for me. And he's saying that while he's in prison. His circumstance, like he's not sitting on the beach somewhere, drinking a pina colada, an all-inclusive, going like, man, God, I love your authority. Bring it on. I want more of this. When things start to go a little off in our lives, are we praising God going, man, God, I love your authority in my life. Like this, this, this season of loss or this season of hurt or this season of pain, this season where things are going awry, like, man, thank you, Lord, because I know you, you know I need this to draw me closer to you. You know, you know that this is what's best for me because you do all things for, for my good and your glory. No, what we want to do is we want to tell him how to do his job. Hey, God, over here. In case you forgot about me, you're doing this wrong. Ooh. We do that. I do that all the time. Paul is recognizing to be Jesus-centered means that he's under an authority. And being under that authority is good. Like, it's, it's good. And so he's saying... I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus, and, and he's not being like, oh, I'm a prisoner. It's like, 
I get to be a prisoner of Jesus. Like I get to be bound to Jesus in an eternal way where for the rest of my existence, for all of eternity, I get to worship and praise and lift his name high. Man, like, yes, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll say whatever you want me to say if I get to be with you. And so being bound to Jesus brought him excitement and joy and peace. He's burdened and bound to people. Why is he burdened and bound to these people? Paul was given a treasure. Paul was entrusted and given something that was a treasure. This treasure imprisoned him. Would you read this with me? Ephesians 3, starting in verse 2. Assuming, so this is Paul talking to the Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations and has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are now fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He was given a treasure to give to everybody that he came in contact with. And it was a treasure that never ran out. It was a treasure that he could give to anybody. And it was the fact that God came and lived a life that we couldn't live. The planet that we're spinning around. The distances from the sun, how he holds it in place at the right degree. The universe, the expanse of the universe that he spoke and came into being. The trees, the birds, the animals, the plants. He made it for you. For you to enjoy. For you to experience how great he is. He wants you to... And, and that God that spoke those things into creation, he knows you. Like, he doesn't know you theoretically like, oh yeah, there's someone down there maybe with blonde hair and, and blue eyes or brown eyes. Like, no, no, no. He knows you intimately. He knows every single hair on your head, even the ones that we're losing. He knows you. And all the junk, look at me, all the junk in your life, all the hidden sins, all the stuff that you want nobody else to know about, he knows. And still, he loves you. He knows all the things that you're not even willing to admit. And he wants you. That's the mystery that Paul has been entrusted with. And he's so enthralled with it. That he's going, I have to share this. I'm bound to share this because it is so good. You want to play a little imagine game with me? Imagine you're going on a trip and you're taking a plane. Now, maybe you like to fly, maybe you don't, but that's irrelevant. You like it at this point. 
We're imagining. You're going on a plane. It's just you. You're in the airport. You sit down. You have your Starbucks, and you're waiting for your flight, and then you hear the dreaded thing. Aaron Nygaard, Aaron Nygaard, please report to the desk. <sighs> right? So you get up. You walk up. You think something's wrong with your ticket or your seat or something, and they say, hey, listen, there's a family that needs to get on, and you're, they're the only seat we can move around, but we have a seat in first class. Can we upgrade you? Sh- sure. Right? Okay. Right? So now you get to sit in first class, and, and so they're boarding the plane, and as you're you know, going through the line and cutting to the front of the, the, you know, everybody, you, you get on, and you go to sit down, and in the seat next to you, because there's only two, right, is a man named Elon Musk. If you don't know who Elon Musk is, Elon Musk is one of the world's most richest people. $270 billion. I mean, we can't even wrap our minds around that. Right? And you sit down, and you strike up a conversation. He starts asking you about your life, what you do, and you're enjoying this conversation. He says, hey, listen, I'm in a little bit of a predicament. Uh, I was talking to my tax advisor and my, my people. Um, I have to give away as much money as possible in the next few days. He says, so I'm going to start writing million-dollar checks, and I just need you to give me names. Right? So you're sitting on the plane, and you're just like, what? He's like, yeah, so anybody you want, anybody that you know, just start giving me names. I have my checkbook right here. I'm going to write the checks for a million bucks, and I'm just going to put the names you tell me, and I'm going to give them to you. So you're racking your brain, right? Right. So here's the deal. When this happens, the first name you say, William Vecchio, right? I know you call me Bill, but William's my real name. It's hard to cash a check. So William Vecchio, um, that's, the, that's number one, right? And then you go on, right? You start th- you're racking your brain trying to think, um, yeah, so if you don't say your spouse first, that's a problem, all right? So, uh, all right, say Sky Vecchio, um, yeah, John Kotcha, yeah, um, John Lunsford, okay, right, right? So you're going through the people that you know, you're like going, putting yourself in different scenarios in like your life. Oh, who's that guy at work? Oh, I don't really like him. All right, yeah, yeah, that guy too, and um, and then uh, my boss, yeah, and then this person, and oh, that guy at the gym, and you're like, oh, what's his last name? And, and you're trying to think of his, his wife's name, and, and, and you're, you're racking your brain. And then he gives you this stack of checks. He hands them to you. And it's like, hey, I need you to go deliver these to the people in the next five days, or else they're void. Are you going to feel a little burdened? But are you going to be a little bit excited? That's a silly analogy. We have the gift of life. And everywhere we go, do we know their names of the people that check us out at Publix, Walmart, Starbucks? Are we praying that God gives us repeated opportunities to help them see hear and respond to his good news? Are we convicted and burdened in such a way like Paul is fearing here that I can't do anything else with my life but go, like, if I die tomorrow, like, it doesn't matter because I am gonna go and live my life in such a way that every single person I know is gonna know who Jesus is and his name Not the name of a church building. Not the name of a book that you once read. The name of Jesus. 
Paul is showing us what it means to be Jesus-centered. And that every single person, look at me, every single person who says they believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior has been called by God to go share his treasure, to share his good news with everyone in your life. Do we feel that? Does that bring joy to our hearts and our soul? And if at any point it starts to well fear in you, you're thinking more about you than of God. I don't share the gospel with people because I'm afraid of what people are going to think of me. And that should destroy me. Because if I'm not sharing the gospel with people, it's because I want people to think better of me for some reason. Or I think that they're going to think I'm weird. That the kids in my school, like, I don't want to be that guy that was going around and like telling people about Jesus. I'm going to be a Bible thumper. You have life. Literal life. And all they know is death. They are going to spend eternity separated from God. And we have the mystery. We have been given that treasure. For some reason, for some reason, God has opened up our eyes. Only by grace. And by grace, he's entrusted us with that, to go share that with every man, woman, and child. So here's the first thing I want to say. Sometimes we don't share it because we really don't know if we believe it or not. And so if that's you today, and you don't know if you truly believe it, we want to walk with you in that journey. This is a safe place to ask questions, to be discipled. We want you to come, and we want to help you grow in your knowledge and understanding of who God is. Don't be so prideful to think that I've been in the church for X amount of years, or I've been going to these, like, and so I don't need to, like, I, I should be okay now, but I'm not. None of us are. I'm not. I've got a master's in this stuff, and I'm not. Like, every day I open up God's word and he speaks to me something different. So we journey with these things. That's why Paul's saying it's the mystery. Because we're not fully going to be able to wrap our minds around it. If you think you're, you're waiting to share the gospel till you understand it all, that's never going to happen. God has invited us. And this should be a joyful thing. This is a joyful burden that we carry. Just like it would be so exciting for me to walk over to Aaron and say, hey man, here's a million dollar check. I should be able to so much more walk up to one of my friends, coworkers, or even the people I don't like and say, hey, God has given me the gift of life and I want you to have the same. Do we, do we have a joyful burden, an alarm going off in our hearts and in our minds to share his good news and sound it from the rooftops? to share his treasure. I pray that we would be the type of church that would go out. God changed the world with 12. Imagine if we gave ourselves to sharing his good news everywhere we live, work, and play. Can I pray for us? Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your word. God, I thank you for every opportunity that we have to share your good news. God, right now I pray that you would put people's 
names on our hearts, in our minds, to share your good news. God, that you would right now start preparing their heart to hear that good news, that you would provide opportunities to share that good news with them. And in those moments, God, it's okay if we fumble. It's okay if we don't say everything okay and properly and right, but that we would have this joyful burden just to share that there is a God who loves us and wants a relationship with us. That we would take the opportunity to pray for our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends and our family members. That we would join with Paul. We would be Jesus-centered in such a way that our lives would revolve around knowing you more and loving you more. God, if there's anybody here today that has not fully entrusted you as their Lord and Savior, God, I pray that right now they would respond.